Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. I am so excited to hear him speak. Joe has been very, very kind to me. Uh, you know, I, 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 it's, it's interesting. You know, there's a, I know a whole lot of pastors, and a, a lot of pastors do this thing alone. They walk alone, and there's so, there's so many reasons that that's not okay, that you shouldn't walk alone. You should, not, you should have people to, to invest in you, people that you can call, people that have, have walked this road before, people that can pray for you, love you, offer you some guidance, smack you around a little bit if you need smacked around, you know, to say, Aaron, that's really stupid. And, and um, anyway, Joe is one of those guys for me, and uh, I just appreciate and love him so much. Would you please welcome Joe Hunt as he comes and gives the word today? What's up, Simple Church? Come on, how you doing? You guys feeling good this morning? Come on, you're gonna have to be rowdy with me. I'm a I'm a loud, crazy guy. You gotta be, you gotta, this is talk back church Sunday. If it isn't any other Sunday, it is this Sunday. And as you already know, I'll slap you around if not. I promise I've never slapped your pastor. Never done that. Uh, but man, it is an honor, a true honor to be here. And uh, this has been on the books for a while, and I've been really anticipating the opportunity to come and be a part of this church, jump into this series, and just to meet you all. I was here, it's been probably a couple of years ago now, not in this building, in your old building, uh, with your staff on a staff night. Just had a great time getting to know some of you. And uh, now to see the church and to be a part of what's going on here. Listen, I'm just so proud of you. I'm proud that you are making strides and you're making movement and you're trying new things and you're pushing against walls and you're saying yes to opportunities because you have a strong desire to see people far from God to come to know life in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen for that? And that's what this is all about, and I love it. I love churches that just expand and grow and move and shake, and I'm loving that you're a part of that. And I just want to say uh, congratulations on being uh, God's chosen people and uh, being the smile that puts uh, uh, that is put on his face uh, for your efforts of faith and what you are doing. So I just want to say thank you for that. And I want to say how much I love and adore your pastors. Uh, Pastor Aaron and Shanda are just beautiful and amazing people, and uh, I'm so grateful that they're in our lives and that we get to be in their lives, and today we get to be family. And uh, I'm excited about this series. I'm enjoying the series Joyride. Anybody enjoying the series Joyride? Oh, that was so underwhelming. I'm going to tell you right now, I feel like I'm going to have to be an aisle-walking preacher this morning and just come down right where you are. It's kind of dark and a little hazy. I don't really know if I see you or if I'm high. But anyway, I am here, and I'm believing that you're here too, and so I won't know unless I hear you. But I, I'm going to jump on into this. I don't have a whole lot of time for uh, setup, um, so I just want to jump right in, and I really believe that God has something special he wants to speak to all of us in this place. And I really believe that if you'll lean in, you'll leave here differently. I truly believe that about the presence of God. That where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And if we'll lean in, if we'll lean in. Now, this is the kind of thing, it's you only get out of it what you put into it, right? And so if you, if you come as a spectator, you'll leave maybe with a little, like, little attitude of that was good, or I kind of like that, or I could see how that might benefit my life. But if you will be a participator and you'll lean into the presence of God, you'll leave transformed. 
and you'll leave absolutely changed by God's presence. And that's been my prayer for you as we talk about Joyride. I want to talk today about being filled with joy. What does it look like to be filled with joy? And as a precursory element to that, something I just want to kind of lay out there for you, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, I, I, want, to, I want to just show you this, um, and then I'm going to I'll use it as a springboard for the concept of what I want to talk about today. Uh, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he says, listen, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Right Now, if you're a King James Version follower and you think that's the only Holy Scripture, it would say it leads to debauchery, right? Because that's a fancy word. You used that this morning, didn't you? While you're eating pancakes, you just happened to say debauchery. Pancakes is what you said instead. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life and lead to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, and I would say the Spirit of joy that is promised in the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? To be filled with all the things the Holy Spirit has for your life. Because Paul understood this one thing. You're going to be filled with something. It's not an, an issue of if you're going to be filled. You will be filled. And Paul's saying when you have a choice to balance out what you're going to be filled with, Choose to lean into the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit of God, right? It's so important to watch what we are being filled with because you're full of something. You've been wanting to do this for a long time. Would you look at your neighbor and tell him you're full of it? Just come on. Look at your neighbor and tell him. Come on. You're full of it. See, you've been wanting to do that for a while. I could tell it in your face. Just You are full of it. Now, what you're full of is all up to you. You get to choose what you fill up on. And listen, what Paul's saying here is he's saying, listen, don't medicate the way the world medicates. And he's using the metaphor, I think. I'm not here to preach whether you should drink or not. That's not the topic of the sermon. He's here to say, anything you choose to use in your life to fill the void and the lack, any worldly thing that you try and use as a substitute and fill in your life where you have no peace and you have no joy and you have no true celebration will always lead you to debauchery. It will always lead you to lack and less and ruin in your life. But when you are filled with the Spirit, you will be full of everything that makes you satisfied and fulfilled in life. It's all fine. Oh, you can say amen. I heard you. I got you on tape. It's in my pocket. You said it. Blackmail. Listen, this idea of not being filled full, this idea of coming up short, I just got to make a, a, a broad announcement here and let everyone know that I have, I have food issues. I, I wear black on stage because they say it makes you look skinnier. That's why I do that. Come on, Pastor, you know what I'm talking about? I got food issues. and Two of them in particular, one of them is a food scarcity issue. I have food scarcity, like we have uh, potluck stuff. Anybody, potluck, potluck, does that make sense to you? So where everybody brings a dish and you can't trust what they brought, you want to inspect their home first to make sure that this is even good enough to eat. So I really hate potlucks, but there was one dish in particular that a lady named Trish in our church makes, that the, these meatballs. I've been to Trish's house. I trust her house. I trust her hands. And so she makes these meatballs, and I love them. And I know she brought a certain pot, and I was kind of counting in my head how many people were here, how many meatballs I thought were in the pot. You know, you ever had that pot of, that big jar of like 
I don't know, gummy bears or something, and they're saying, guess how much is in there, and you win all the gummy bears. I like, that's what I was doing with the meatballs. Like, is there enough in there for everyone, right? And so what she did is she put a little placard up in front of it that said, please take only two, right? Take only two. We're in, we're in church, we're in the house of God. There should be a greater honor system in the house of God than at your own. And so I'm thinking, everybody's going to take two. I think I can get this. Well, then I start seeing the line filter through, and these jerks were taking like seven or eight meatballs. Here's the problem. I read a leadership book called Leaders Eat Last, worst book I ever read in my life. Right? Because now I think i got to eat last, and all I can think of is I'm not going to get a meatball. Trish made these for me. I know she did. And now I'm not going to get a meatball because of you jerks. And I wanted to punch them in the throat so the meatball wouldn't go down. They start choking, and I could take the rest of their meatballs. That's what I was up to. So that's what I was all about right there. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Food scarcity issues. There's a new pizza joint. I kind of judge places by pizza joints. I judge people by pizza recommendations. And I realize there's a lot of taste buds I can't trust in this world. Right, and so I, I, I settled on, I was kind of new back to the Akron area. I'd been gone for 16 years, was never really raised there, was raised south of there. So I'm exploring the area for, for good pizza. Somebody tells me of a joint called Giuseppe's. I loved it. And then somebody came and said, Pierre's in Kenmore. Now, that doesn't mean anything to you, but I, uh, somebody say, ooh, boo, boo. Oh, I'm out. Right, and so I said, I'll try it. So I, I call him, and Pierre answers the phone. I said, hey, man, I'm a, I'm a family of five. I'm kind of a big dude, got a smaller wife, got three little kids. Will a, will a large pizza fill my family? And he said, oh, absolutely. I said, I'll take an extra large. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Because we're not going to come up short. And so I get there, I get there, and I, I roll in, and the pizza box looked like you needed four people to carry it out of the building. Right, and I'm driving a Prius at the time. Don't judge. Don't judge me. And so I, I can't even hardly get the pizza box in the Prius to get home. I finally get home, pop the top, and I pull out a slice, and it's as large as my oldest child. It's the biggest slice of pizza I've ever seen because I have food scarcity issues. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I also have this other issue with food, and that is when I hear somebody talking about delicious food, um, I can't sleep that night until I've tasted it, right? Like if they, if they mention something I know I can get my hands on, like I'm trying to counsel people, their marriage is falling apart, and all I can see is that food sitting in front of me. Right, so one day somebody reminded me of a childhood look, little snack I liked, <laughs> snack, now you know why I'm as big as I am, is a Nutty Bar. Anybody ever had a Nutty Bar, right? So I'm, I, I love Nutty Bars. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's four wafers smashed together with peanut butter and dipped in chocolate. Like why would you not? Every day, every day have a Nutty Bar, right? And, and so somebody mentioned a Nutty Bar, and I hadn't had one in a while, so I'm thinking, man, how can I get to Circle K? And so finally, I make my way over to Circle K. And I grab the Nutty Bar, and I put it up there, and I grab a Polar Pop. <laughs> it was a Diet Pepsi, don't worry. I'm worried about my calories here. I've got to counterbalance. And so I grab a Polar Pop and a Nutty Bar, and I put it up, it says a buck 24. And I said, oh, okay. So I grab my wallet, because I thought I had 20 or 30 bucks in my wallet. I have a dollar, a single dollar in my wallet. And it's a buck 24, and I'm thinking I start breaking into a cold sweat, right? And so I'm like, well, I got, I got change in my tray out in the car. So I go out to the car, I grab, open up the tray. There's 11 pennies in the tray, 11 pennies. Who snatched my money, right? So I pull the 11 pennies out. I go up there, and I'm kind of like that nervous laugh, like, <laughs> like 11 pennies on there with my dollar. And I see three little pennies sitting in that little dish next to the cash register. You know what I'm talking about? So I just kind of swipe those and bring them over. And I'm like, Buck, I'm only a dime short, but I'm only a dime short. And the guy goes, yep, you're a dime short. And I thought, I'm going to punch you in the throat. You are going to, where's your manager? 
right? And so I start breaking a cold sweat. I'm trying to make, I'm thinking, I'm going to rob this place. I'm going to jail over a nutty bar. I can't believe this is happening to me right now. And I'm kind of breaking into a cold sweat. And so, I, and here's the reason, I know what you're saying. Why wouldn't you just break out your debit card and put it on there? Because if I did that, my wife would read the credit card statement and realize I made a $1.24 purchase at this place. She knows I'm not getting gas. She knows I got a nutty buddy bar. And I'm in big trouble. Right, so the guy behind me knows that I'm just freaking out. And he hands me a dime. He's like, bro, I got a dime. I grabbed his face. I kissed his forehead. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Here's why. Because I came up short. Does anybody know the feeling of coming up short? Trying so hard, believing so much that this is actually going to work, that this time, this is, what's, this is it. I've got enough faith to believe now that I know it didn't happen five times before. I know it didn't happen last year. I know I've prayed about this before, but I'm kind of believing that maybe this can happen right now. And you go at it again, and you seem to come up short. I want to I delve into the concept of not having enough of seeming like what you brought to the table looked like it was going to be enough, and it didn't actually work the way you thought it was. matter of fact, I'm going to draw your attention to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is a very interesting story. It's the, it's the first recorded miracle in the Scriptures. It's the first recorded miracle, and I think it's important for me to read the whole thing to you, and then I'll use it as a springboard, because I'm thinking maybe some of you may have not heard this story before, but I, I want to read it for you and, and pull just a few things out of the time we have together. It says this, on the third day, I want you to tuck that in your pocket because I want to come back to that. On the third day, a wedding took place at the Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And he said, woman, why do you involve me? Top five things you don't want to say unless you want your mother to slap you in the face. Woman, what's this have to do with me? Right? And his mother said to the servants, she didn't pay any mind what he had to say, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for, by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Right? So six of them. So it's 120 to 180 gallons. It's just called 150 gallons of water. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the bank, uh, master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned to wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew it knew where the water had come from. And then he called the bridegroom and said, Everyone brings out the choice, the best wine first, and then saves the cheap wine once everybody's drunk. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Canaan was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, now listen, this is the first, and, and if, this is a good homework study for you if you want to go home and read the book of John, the first half of it. John points to seven signs that declares something about the divinity of Christ and who he is and what he came to do. There's seven signs. It's a beautiful read and investigation. This is the first of all of them. Now, what's interesting, not only is it that this is the first one, but it's the first of seven, and in the other ones, the signs are like dead people coming back to life again. How many would you agree that's pretty miraculous? 
Right, like, like lepers, not just being healed. Lep- leprosy was a disease that would eat away the, 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 the tissue of the skin. And, and, and really, if it got on your face, it would eat parts of your face off. You would lose a nose or an ear. Or, and, and when you'd be healed, that just meant the leprosy would stop eating away. But when you were, the Bible says, they were made whole. It literally means that they were restored. Limbs that fell off, pieces of the body that were gone grew back again. Right, this is pretty miraculous stuff. How do you balance dead people coming back to life again with a little more wine at a wedding? Like, like how does this even come into play? Why is this the first miracle Jesus did? Why is it so significant in John's narrative that he points out that this is a powerful one of the top seven miracles Jesus did? And here's why I think it is, because Jesus is dealing with the problem of running out of coming up short. And I want you to know in this place, Jesus meets every single one of us at the point of our lack, at the point of our running out, at the point where we can't resource ourselves. And this idea of turning water to wine literally speaks of our inability to sustain a measure of joy in the things that we have resource to. To be able to keep the party going, and I'll use the term keep the party going, as as the fulfilled life, the life we all dream and wish we had, right? It, It speaks to the fact that all that we have is polluted water. We need Jesus to activate something in our life that changes water to wine in order for us to experience the true fullness of joy and contentment in life. Does anybody know what I'm talking about in this place? That Jesus has to get into the narrative and get involved. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me diagnose this a couple of ways. Number one, the source of the wine. Like the wine runs out. So let's go back to the source. How did it even get here and where can we get more of it? Right? If that's just the case, the source of the wine comes from two places. The, the, the bridegroom, the man who threw the party, he's the first source of the wine. And the stockpile of wine speaks to his significance. It speaks to his wealth. It speaks to his merit. And so in an honor and shame culture, when he runs out of wine, people are going to look at him as being insufficient, inadequate, unable to really produce a party, unable to keep life sustained, calling something in that he couldn't finish. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So it speaks something of this man. No wonder Jesus' mother is so astonished and she's so upset when they run out of wine because she knows this is going to be a direct attack on the man's character and his ability to do for his family what he said he was going to do and his ability to throw a party. It's all running out because it's pointing to his inadequacy. Can I tell you, let me tell you something. If you think money, more resource in your life is what's going to actually make you happy and bring you joy, you will of all people be most miserable in life. If you think it's just more of this and you, you, don't, you want to build a nest egg of security, I want to make sure I don't run out. I want to make sure I always have. And there's nothing wrong with producing. There's nothing wrong with being active and productive in life. But when you think that is truly the source of everything that will supply your joy and your fulfillment, you will never live the life that Jesus promises you can live. The second place the wine comes from is the guests that attend. Matter of fact, it's probably an 80-20 service here. This is the the guests that come in. They bring their own bottle of wine. It's kind of like, hey, we're here to party with you. We're here to celebrate the good thing that's going on. And the fact they ran out didn't just point to the man didn't have enough. He hung around with people who didn't have enough, people who couldn't fulfill, people who couldn't bring this thing to pass. 
It, it speaks to his relationships. Maybe he's unpopular. Maybe he's unwanted. But it speaks to his relationships. And let me just tell you, let me put a side card on what I already said. If you think a relationship is going to actually fulfill your life and bring you joy, if you're sitting around thinking, man, if I could just get married, if I could just find that special someone, or if you're thinking you could just trade your wife in now for someone different, and you think this relationship is what is going to actually bring joy and satisfaction in my life, I'm just telling you, that resource, that source will never fulfill you the way you think it will. If you have a great marriage, can I just tell you, your happiness, your contentment is not the sole purpose of your spouse. As a matter of fact, God will let that resource fail to show you that the source is truly him in your life, and he's all that you will ever need in your life. Does this make sense to anybody besides me? You could have fooled a brother. And here's what's happening. Jesus gets involved in the scenario. Jesus comes to a scenario of weakness, inadequacy, brokenness, failure, lack, running out, and he gets involved. And can I tell you, the wine that Jesus produces is far better than that which ever came before it. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking the best is ahead of you and this next opportunity is what you're looking for, you're never going to get there until you understand the wine that Jesus gives. The wine that Jesus supplies is the best you'll ever get, and it's far better than anything you will ever have had before it. Master of the ceremony said, man, you saved the best for last. This that you've given now is far better than anything we've ever had. I love it because if you're anything like me, we've intoxicated our lives on the wines of this world before. We've drank from different pools of thought and ideologies and hopeful wish tanks that this is going to be it. And we've been so intoxicated with the wines of this world, but then there's some of us in this place, and I hope it's a good majority of you, that you drank the Jesus juice. And you realize that when you took one drink from him, no wonder the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Can I get an amen from anybody in the house? Taste and see that the Lord is good. The goodness you need is in the juice Jesus provides. It's in the wine that can only come from him, and he turns water to wine. See, they were asking for one thing, and Jesus gave them something else. They thought they needed more of what they already had. And Jesus said, i got to give you something completely different. You need a new wine in your life. The, the, the party that you're trying to create will not last. The temporary joy you're trying to get from this is going to fade away. Even if I give you more of what you already had, you'll come back again to a place where it's not satisfying. But I can let you have in this place today a drink from something that will be so fulfilling and so satisfying that you'll never return to false alternatives Again, it's the joy that comes from Christ. Quick, quickly, i, I got to go through this. Time won't permit me to be long, but I just want to tell you that I, I know because I could feel in your spirit even now, you've been waiting for somebody to bring biblical numerology to the forefront, and you, you just want to talk about Bible numbers. See? I told you so. And it says there are six, so, so you're welcome, there are six 
ceremonial washing pots. And six is a significant number in the Scripture. Six is the number of man. It's, it's man's attempt to be God. It's the, matter of fact, he says, fill those water pots, those six water pots to the brim. Fill them full. This, this is a, a metaphor for the fullest thing that man can provide, the, the best thing that man can give. As a matter of fact, the, the, the greatest of man, the most powerful of man's attempt is going to come somewhere in the end time. In, in, in what's called the Antichrist, he'll be the fullness of man's power. He'll have all the resource, all the connections, all the, it's all that man can offer. And his number is 666. It's a representative of the fullness of man trying to take the place of God. And you know if you really get down to brass tacks, you do a lot of stuff that you really don't try and involve God in because you'd rather play God. You'd rather believe you can push it hard enough and, and just get more of it, and then if you just had more of it, you wouldn't need anybody else or anything else. That's exactly where you find the debauchery of your life. And so he says, take these six pots and fill them to the brim. Give them the best effort you have. Now, these weren't just any pots. They were ceremonial washing pots, right? Ceremonial washing pots. And, and I, know, I know we're not Jewish, but um, and I know we don't have this kind of a culture. We kind of, all of us, many, many of us drove to church today. Back in this day, it was more of a house setting. You would have walked from house to house. Um, have, you, have you been to a parade and you've seen people... There were horses going down the middle of the parade, maybe, or I don't know what else they may have, donkeys, or I don't know what else, sheep. I'm not sure what the parades have anymore. But, but there's always somebody following them up, right? And they follow them up for a purpose because th- those horses and sheep and donkeys have been processing stuff, and they're going to leave it behind, right? Do I need to go any further? Can I, do you get what I'm talking about? And so, they're try- so, so you, you didn't have people following along to take up the mess that was left behind. So it just laid there in the path. And so mud and rain and water would mix it all together. And so you went walking through that in sandal feet. And you'd show up at someone's house. And just like you wouldn't want anybody to come out of a manure farm straight into your house and sit at your dinner table, they would have these washings that would go on. Does anybody, anybody follow me in this place? All right. Can you look like you're at least somewhat interested in what I'm having to say here right now? This is probably the worst message you've ever heard. That's fine. You'll get better preaching next week. Right, but but so they'd wash these. They have they have a ceremonial cleansing. As a matter of fact, it's mandatory for them to wash in these these uh, uh, basins, these water pots, and and so uh, th- there was a, an uncleanliness to the whole process. And and I don't know if you were uh, fortunate enough to be raised in the kind of church I was raised in. We actually had foot washing in the church I was raised in, right? Where you took your dirty, stanky, nasty feet. Has anybody ever understood? Okay, a handful of people, you're you're going to heaven for sure, for sure. The rest of you. The jury's out. But those of you that just raised your hand, you're going to heaven. Right? Because you'd sit there and, and, and you'd wash each other's feet and it'd get so nasty and so terrible and bad and stanky. And, and so this is what's going on. Matter of fact, I thought about just having a basin up here washing my feet with water and having somebody come over to, and then grabbing a glass of it and coming to see who would drink of it. Exactly. You're finally on page with me. That's what's going on. It'd be that disgusting of an idea when Jesus says, go grab the ceremonial washing pots. Fill them with water to the fullest because Jesus is getting ready to tackle man's inability and what they think is actually producing is nothing more than filthy, dirty water. It's a vain attempt to produce the joy they actually want. And so he's, he's taking on a whole religious system of what, what actually produces the joy. 
Where does it actually come from? And so he's getting ready to give a physical illustration of what they've been doing, and then he's getting ready to show them what they should be doing. And he's taking these dirty water pots and filling them to the brink, and he sends them out there, and then Jesus transforms it by turning that nasty water into wine because he's moving from an old law of purification that says you got to work hard to keep yourself clean. Can I just tell you, a dirty spirit will rob you of joy. And if you're trying to live up to a certain standard of what everybody thinks you should do and how you think maybe your family's put it on you that you should, or maybe even internally you've just kind of processed the world around you and said this is what I should look like, act like, and be like. And, And you know all of your attempts to be as good as everybody else wants you to be leaves you nothing but dissatisfied because you can't really get that impurity off of you. And, and, and a dirty soul will cause joy to leak from you like crazy. And Jesus takes the dirty system, he touches it with his power, and he turns water into wine. He, listen, listen, he will turn the waste, the unwanted dirtiness of our lives into an abundance of joy and celebration. 150 gallons of new wine. Can I just tell you some of the filthiest places of your life will give the most glory to God? It'll give you the greatest sense of praise. You, you, you will feel so close to God when you reveal the, the, the darkest stuff of your soul to him. Let me tell you, it will always be a door that keeps joy out of your life when you hold captive the dirtiness of your life. But when you open the door and turn it over to Jesus, he cleanses it and makes it all new. And then... I'm closing with this. Maybe somebody, do you guys play piano in closing? Can you give these people a false sense of security real quick? (laughs) Your heart say, save me. Meet your Savior. As they find the rest, and listen, I don't have to get into it. More biblical numerology would have told you. He said this is the third day, which is actually the seventh day of John's narrative. Three times in John chapter 1, he says on the next day. So you'd have him talking from the first day and say on the next day, which is actually day two. On the next day, which is day three. On the next day, which is day four, the third time he mentions it. And then he turn to chapter 2 and says on the third day. So it's day seven. Seven is the number of rest. What, what, what John is getting at here, and I wish I, I wish I had more time, but what John is getting at here is when you take your unrest of all your efforts to be good enough, clean enough, popular enough, wealthy enough, all the things we think that we need to produce joy, and you come to an end of it and say, I filled it to the brim, and it never brought me what I thought it was going to bring me, there's still a place you can go. It's the seventh day. It's into the rest of the presence of God. You bring all that into his presence. You have your own seventh day. Today could be your seventh day where you could just bring it in. I'm so tired. I'm so weary. I'm so worn out. I'm so broken. I realize that this is just clay pots we're working with here. So brittle. Relationships can be so flaky. Money can just go away so fast. Careers can, and I don't pray this on anybody, careers can come out from under you so quickly. Everything we've built as the pinnacle of our 
Security and success can be challenged so easily. But there's one who stood the challenge of everything. The canopy of God's grace coming upon your life. The seventh day. The day of rest and you bring it into him. And then his mother tells the servants, just do whatever he tells you to do. That's all you got to do. See, once you've found this place of rest, what he tells you to do is no longer scary. You know, you know if you've gotten there because if God ever tells you to do something, like he may be speaking into your life right now. And you feel scared about what he's saying. You've never really drank from the wine that gives you rest. Because once you get to this place of rest in him, trust starts to flow from it. And whatever he tells you to do, you know is the best thing for you. It may be difficult, but it is the best thing for your life. Because John's narrative follows up in John chapter 15, verse 11, 16, 24, and then 1 John chapter 4 with this statement. That you, Jesus says this over and over again, that your joy may be complete. That's what he's after. That your joy may be complete. That you may know full joy. That you may have real peace and joy in your heart. Not temporary water pots of filthy water that we dance around calling joy. Real joy. The wine that Jesus provides. It'll heal everything in your life if you lean into it. That your joy may be complete. There, there is a wine that Jesus serves. We are not doing it today, I don't believe, but it's called communion. It's a representation of his giving everything so that we could have everything. It's his willingness to say that this is so vital to your experience that I'll give up the rest of my experience so that you can pick up where I left off. He even says, greater works than I do will you do. I mean, the, the joy that he leaves behind, the power he leaves behind, the grace he leaves behind, when you become so filled with what he's left behind. So he says, listen, whenever you do this, and when you do this as a church, I want you to remember this. Do this remembering me. The glory of all of communion is to remember what Jesus has done. And maybe it's been a while since you've remembered. Maybe you've been chasing after all kinds of other things and you've been looking at what you've done or what somebody else could do for you. Maybe you've got an outstretched hand and it's in the wrong direction. Maybe it doesn't need to be here. Maybe it needs to be here. And maybe you just need to be reminded this Sunday morning, Jesus has paid it all. And he has everything to give. It's, it, he owns it all. It's his. So here's two things, and I'm done. Number one, when you, when you focus on Jesus and what he has done, the wine he served, it changes your perspective. You realize this. Christ carried all of your burdens and your sins and your lack and your shortcoming to the cross so you don't have to carry them anymore. It's his. Give it to him. The second thing is it changes your position. He took a seat of sacrifice so that we could have a seat of salvation. It changes your position. Now you can be victorious because he is victorious. Now you can truly overcome because he truly overcame. 
and fullness of joy can be yours because he paid for it. He owns it. It's his. Father, I thank you for every person that's in this place right now. I just believe that you're working in ways that I don't know. I just believe that you're touching hearts and you're, you're coming into this moment as we lean into you right here, right now, looking for people who say, you know what, Joe, you got me. I'm drinking from bad water sources trying to get joy out of it. And I realize I need Jesus to turn water to wine in my life. So, Jesus, we humbly come before you right now, and we ask for grace to fill this place. As we turn to you, that you would turn to us. And as we reach for you, you would reach for us right now. In Jesus' name, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to offer you this moment of grace. It's the greatest honor of any pastor or preacher's life. Anybody who stands up here, everything I said pales in comparison to the question I'm going to ask you right now. If you're in this place and you know you're far from God, but you want Jesus so desperately to turn your water to wine. You want a fresh start. That's the language we use at our church, a fresh start, because 2 Corinthians 5.17 in the message translation says, those who are united with Christ, they get a fresh start. The old goes away and the new comes rushing in. I don't know about you, but I love that language. And not only that, I love that life. To realize he can walk in this room right now and the chalkboard of your life that is filled with triumphs and tragedies. And he can take a big eraser and just take away all those failings, all the pain of regret, and then turn to you and say, give me that chalk. Let me write a new story. Let me give you a fresh start. If that's you in this place and you want Jesus to step into the center of your world and give you a fresh start right now, I'm going to count to three, and I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray a, a general prayer with you, believing that right now as you lean in, God's going to answer that prayer. And do what only he can do. If that's you, when I count to three, just raise your hand and say, Joe, I want a fresh start with God. And I believe right now that I can have it in Christ. If that's you, when I count to three, just raise your hand. Come on, one, two, three. Would you just raise your hand? Come on, just raise your hand. Beautiful. Just lift it to him. Right, Jesus, here I am. I love that. I love that. 42 years ago, my alcoholic father, who had been full of alcoholism for generations. Full of alcoholism for generations. When he was 16 years old, he walked into his sister's bedroom where my grandfather had a match, poured gasoline all over my Aunt Sue, was getting ready to set her on fire. My dad had to beat the tar out of his own dad to save his sister. Family was ruined. My mom and dad were on the verge of divorce. My mom was bulimic anorexic. She was down to 89 pounds. She was a churchgoer. She went to Mass every single Saturday. She was raised in Catholic schools. My dad was a supposedly good Baptist kid. I'm not, this is not picking on religions at all. What, what I'm saying is they, you can be a part of anything. You can be a part of this church. It's not about any denomination or religion. What I'm saying is they did not truly lean into the wine that Jesus had. And their lives were falling apart. Until one day, 42 years ago, my dad sat at our home. I wasn't born yet. 2623 Sunmont, Northwest of Madison, Ohio. Said, I give up. Jesus, come. In that little kitchen, in that little house, a big God showed up.
and transformed my family's life so that it wrote a different story for mine and my siblings' life, my kids who will be here second service, right? Their story has changed. They're in the house of God. They sing songs of worship before God that was never in the lineage of my family until God stepped in and made the difference. I want to pray this prayer with you. Listen, sir, ma'am, if you raise your hand, or maybe now in your heart you're saying, I'm leaning into this. I want to pray this prayer with you right here, right now, as you offer a fresh start. And you call for it. It's not an incantation. It's not a prayer you say. It's a heart that you turn towards God. That's on you. Turn your heart to God. But I don't mind giving you words to say as you call for him with your heart to him. So would you lift your voice with me, those of you that raised your hand? And listen, would you, everyone else, would you lift your voice as well and just repeat this after me? Theirs is a prayer of salvation. Yours is a prayer of affirmation. You're affirming the prayer they're, they're praying right now. It worked for you. It changed your life, and you're so excited they're praying it too. Come on, let's lift our voice together. And if you just raised your hand, would you say this with me out loud as everybody else joins? Say, Father, I need you. I cannot make it without you. I can't save myself but I truly believe that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins so that I could have life. So why don't you tell him, Jesus, save me. Change my heart. Change my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be different. I want a fresh start. Now tell him, I surrender. I give you my life. I receive your salvation. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give your hand clap to the Lord in this place. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pumped up this morning. And uh, and, and mainly here, I'm just going to say this because when y'all are praying that prayer, everybody's got their head bowed and their eyes closed. I'm always the one looking around. And seven people this morning said yes to Jesus. And come on, guys. That's why we're here. That's why we do all of this. Uh, just uh, incredible. I'm so proud of those of you that made that decision. And understand that, that this, is, this is the first step. There are many others for you to take. And we want to walk with you through every single one of those. As you begin a life of following Jesus. In fact, the first thing he says, if you said yes to Jesus, he said the first thing he wants you to do is to, to share publicly what's going on inside of you through something we call baptism. And so you can be part of that. Pull out the Connect card in front of this, in the seat back in front of you. Put your name, your phone number on there and mark it. Hey, I'm interested in more information about baptism. We'll make sure the next time we do that, that we, you have that information. You can invite your friends and family. As they come in here, you say publicly, I'm following Jesus, and so uh, we invite you to join us as we do that. Um, other, other things I want to make sure I share with you today, man, it's such a great day. Joe, thank you so much for such an incredible word. Love you, brother, and, and so thankful that you're here with us today. Uh, a couple things you need to know about. Uh, if you are joining the kickball team, kickball registrations are there. You've got this last week to register. Um, <clears throat> As you register, you can pay your registration fee right there online. Vacation Bible School is coming up next week as well. And uh, you can sign up on our website for that as well. And then uh, one, there's, there's one last, oh, uh, baby dedications are coming up at the end of the month. There's a, uh, a youth event coming up. Uh, they're going to Laser Craze and playing Unlimited Laser Craze. So, like, there is so much going on in the last couple weeks here. You need to be a part of it. You can sign up for all of that on our website. So please make sure you do that. Uh, and I'm happy to, to share any, of, any more information about that with you after service. So here's what we're going to do. 
we are, are going to wrap up. I'm going to pray for us. If you have brought an offering to give today, if you're tithing or giving, giving an offering, you can give in the give box in the back of the room as you walk out. Or you can use all these digital ways to do it. If you like the, to text to give or to use the, the online or the app, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. I, I don't think I shared this last week, but because of your generosity, we were able to give away 33 bikes in the parade uh, during the 4th of July. And I just want to say thank you so much for that. If you weren't there for that, I could tell you stories that would just melt your heart. It was really, really incredible. So thank you for your generosity in helping us do that. Uh, because I believe that those were just little grace bombs that we put out in the crowd. And, uh, and it was pretty, pretty incredible. So thank you for that. Uh, w- once I'm done praying for us, if you need prayer for anything, our team will be here at this altar to meet you and pray with you. Uh, but l- let's do it real quick. Lord, thank you so much. Thank you so much for this word, for this fresh word in our hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for new wine. Thank you for filling us, giving a life that is full and fulfilled. Lord, we, we just, we pray. I pray that this word just continues to grow in our hearts, Lord, and that we continue to turn all that we are towards you because you're the only one that has that real life. You're the only one that has the joy that we're looking for. So, Lord, bless us as we go this week. Bless this offering that we receive. Lord, help us reach more people that are far from you with every dollar we received. And everybody said...